Uh, this is the most intense podcast I've done. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I've never done the actual mics. Oh, really? <laughs> Welcome to the Foothills Wellness Retreat Podcast, where we discuss the next Foothills Wellness Retreat, interview presenters, and share with you wellness opportunities here in the Foothills community. I'm Dr. Jared McCollum, and our co-host is Lisa Moraz, the founder and director of the Foothills Wellness Retreat. Well, welcome everyone to the Foothills Wellness Retreat Podcast. I'm Dr. Jared McCollum, and today I'm joined by Tanya. Is it Lay or Lee? Lee. Lee. Because there's like two L's. <laughs> Technically, that's not how it was like given to me. It's not uh -huh. my birth name, but I added the extra L because I'm really into numerology. Oh, okay. And the double L was like a better number. It symbolized more, symbolized more prosperity, abundance, all of these good things. So... Oh, Business-wise, wow. it made sense. Okay. Wow. Okay, let's do it. So now you are um, Mindset and Empowerment Coach, NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, if I'm correct. Yes. Uh, master Practitioner and Instructor. And then you do the EFT, which is Emotional Freedom Technique. Yeah. Um, that's the tapping on the acupuncture points. It is. Okay. Yes. And then uh, Hypnotherapy, Reiki Practitioner. You just keep, uh, you know... Gee, what am I going to learn this weekend? Is that what's going on? Uh, yes and no. The whole like holistic approach has always fascinated me. So it just kind of segued into learning more and more. And mm -hmm. I don't okay. know. Okay. I'm a nerd. And yeah. I'm okay with that. <laughs> and now you're kind of focused on using those tools in a coaching format. Yes. Okay. So what got you in that? So wellness has always been really big in my life. I grew up, my father was sick my entire life. He had MS. So wellness and looking at like holistic approaches was always kind of top of mind in our house. And then as I grew up, it just became more and more important. I was always the athlete, wanted to learn how the body functions more. And then about, I guess we're about five, six years ago now, um, my world got twisted, turned it upside down. I ended up losing three people in my life within 30 days of each other, and it shattered my mindset. I didn't know what to do, where to go, how to heal, how to process it, so I went looking for answers. I found myself a coach who happened to be an NLP practitioner, actually my mentor now, and the, pra like the practices she put me through, the techniques, the coaching style, I fell in love with it. And it was right then and there where I was like, this is what I want to do more long term, I want to help people do this. I want people to know that you don't have to hit your literal or metaphorical or whatever you want to call it, rock bottom, before you can start going on this wellness journey. And there are so many ways that you can shift your mind to really pull yourself out of the trajectory that you're currently going in before hitting that tragic wake-up call. So how did these tools kind of lift you, pull you so out? The... The tools that she used that I now specialize in are NLP and hypnotherapy kind of combined. Okay. So it gave me a really good opportunity to go back to moments in my life as that child who experienced it and see it in a completely different way. So it helped me deal with dad being sick his entire life. It helped me deal with his passing. It helped me deal with the trauma of um, one of the people I lost was my boyfriend at the time. And I was the one that found him. So it helped me deal with that mm. trauma. Um, it also helped me process the little things that had happened in my life where those limiting beliefs were created with those moments of I'm not good enough or I don't deserve this or so-and-so can do it, but I can't do it. Mm. So it helped me see it from a different perspective, yet still from that inner child's 
mindset. Mm -hmm. So it was a really cool and fascinating way of looking at my life from a different point of view and it along the way rewiring the parts of my brain that had created those beliefs in those moments. You know, I think it's, I think memory is fascinating because, you know, we think it's this clear cut thing and that it, every, each memory we have is true when majority of our memories are all false or they are tainted by the trauma we had at that time, or they change and adapt depending on the experiences we have in the moment over time. And I always thought, you know, using, cause again, as humans, we're, we're the world's best time travelers. We spend so much time on our head in the past or in the future. And most of us spend very little time in the moment. But since we're so good at that, why don't we use that as a tool to kind of, like you said, rewrite the and rewire those thoughts and memories to something more positive? You know, if, if, if they're not um, as authentic as we think they are, yeah, go back and, you know, kind of reevaluate, rewrite that memory in a way that can help us to let go and heal. Absolutely. Does that f make any sense to how you oh, use it? So much so. I find a lot of people don't know that they can do that and know how simple it is that we can go back and we can stop living in the past. And the way we saw an event was based off our filters. So how we experienced at the time, what we interpreted it to mean, how we currently see the world and we don't know how to do it. So what I like to do or what I do as a coach is give people those tools and that opportunity to do just that. Because a lot of people, we've never taught it and you don't know what you don't know, right? Mm -hmm. So if you don't know how to go back and shift that, how do you start? Because mm -hmm. I'm sure we all have <laughs> something, you know, in our past that, and, and majority of it, yes, is something that occurred in a, at a younger age that we didn't know how to interpret or understand at that time. And that has, you know, we're, we're kind of carrying that burden and it still continues to hold us back as adults. And some of us don't even know that that's what that is. How, so someone who's just, I'm, I'm suffering, I'm, I'm lost, I'm overwhelmed. Uh, these, I can't let go of these emotions. How do they know? How, how do they, you know, understand that maybe this is what's going on? I think the first thing is accepting that these emotions are trying to tell you something. We generally don't experience an unpleasant feeling without there being some sort of connection there that we're trying to heal or process or integrate something. Mm -hmm. It's our body's way of communicating with us. So taking those feelings and, and those emotions that we're experiencing or these feelings of overwhelm or whatever it be, and taking those as a tool that you can use that builds that awareness which allows you to start looking for different modalities that you can seek the help with, whether that be working with a coach, maybe that's just writing it down and journaling it out and getting some of these feelings out and trying to understand why am I feeling this way? I think a lot of it too is asking yourself those hard questions. Mm -hmm. What is this trying to tell me? Yeah. Why do I feel this way? Is it possible that this means something else? Mm -hmm. I think that's interesting, especially with our emotions. A lot of us perceive our emotions as these external powers that take over us and make us do things and, oh, it wasn't me. It was the anger, it was, you know, whatever. Right. But I, I always explain it to my patients that um, emotions are signals of perceived imbalance in that 
when you feel an emotion, it's telling you you're uh, looking at this situation and your brain's like, oh, when this happens, you feel this way because your mom did or you've always done it this way. Or, and we think that this is natural, that this is just part of our DNA and who we are as humans. But unfortunately, it's not the case. Our emotions are learned. You know, they're not part of our evolution necessarily. You know, yes, like we've developed to feel emotions to teach us things. But, you know, again, I still think, especially if you have a deeply religious background, certain emotions come from God, certain emotions come from the devil. And it's this, you know, external push and pull that we just have to navigate. But see, like anger, I've always seen it as anger is always triggered by injustice. And so when we think something is unfair and unjust, we feel anger. Now, is that this external force doing it? No, we just, we've been learned, we've been taught over time. And this is where it gets really interesting with emotions as you have some cultures that don't even have anger. Anger is not an emotion in their culture. We're losing those cultures <laughs> as they're being exposed to modern, you know, the modern world. But the root, so yes, we have like injustice, anger, but the root to all that is entitlement. Oh, yeah. And when we have, we, have cul- we have a culture of entitlement that believes that, well, you own that land or you own that thing, you own this child. And if, and if it doesn't go the way you expect or want it, then we feel anger as a result. But either way, it's like that for every extreme emotion. It is, yeah. And then rather than thinking, oh, I have to express this emotion to let it go, you know, I look at it more as we need to take that energy because it's just an energy that's letting us know how we're perceiving it. But now we can take that energy and we can use it synergistically to release. So anger is always uh, self-assertion sticking up for yourself. Absolutely. Now, if you're a bodhisattva, you're just going to let it go and you're not even going to feel anger, but we're not there yet. No, it'd be nice <laughs> if we were, but until that day comes, we need to, you know, allow ourselves to feel it and then yeah. channel it into something else. Yeah. That polarity between emotions is huge. Yeah. It's, I think that is, you know, we, as a, you know, as researchers and as a culture, the more we can start to learn about consciousness and emotion, the more we'll understand ourselves. And and I and I think this is where, um, I don't know, this is my opinion of where we've been for the last, like, oh, gee, ever since, like, Dale Carnegie and all of this. Do you ever read any Dale Carnegie books? I love Dale Carnegie. Okay. He kind of started the self-help movement and this idea that, well, if we're to fix the world, we have to fix ourselves first. And I used to believe that, but now I'm thinking more of it is, you know, we are not separate. So fixing ourselves separately just creates more separation because we think it's me. I know if I do this, you know, everyone else has to take care of their shit and then we'll have a better world. But really it's the more we can connect with one another in our communities and help each other heal. Absolutely. That, you know, how, how does that fit into you know, when you're working with someone, how do you help them kind of not only heal themselves, but work within their relationships and communities to heal? See, I think a lot of it's kind of interconnected because mm-hmm. healing the community and healing the collective and healing the whole is so valuable 
And the way to start doing that is to start taking care of yourself and showing that to other people. I'm a very big proponent of we can have that ripple effect. And everything that we see around us is a lot of what's going on inside. So when we really start looking at ourselves and treating ourselves how we want to be treated, that spins out to how we treat the stranger on the street, how we treat our spouse, how we treat our community. And I think that contains that global healing as well because it starts tail spinning off and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then when I'm in a good mood and I'm in a good place and I treat my spouse the way he deserves to be treated, he then in turns does that to somebody else who in turn does it to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And we have that bigger healing movement, yeah. I think as well. So I 100% agree with what you're saying. I think it's both. We, When we heal mm -hmm. ourselves, we heal others. When we heal others, they heal others. And it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. Oh, fascinating. Um, so now when I started practicing uh, almost 20 years ago, the it seemed like hypnosis was everywhere yeah um and i don't see it quite nearly as often as i did where what's uh what's the path of hypnosis and you know what's 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 happened there because it's still it's still an effective therapy it is it's very effective therapy i think a lot of people and this is just my two cents. Uh -huh. I think a lot of people, when you go to like, say the stampede and there's a guy on stage yes. hypnotizing people and you next thing you know, the guy's pulling his pants down and it's this big show. I think a lot of people kind of got this nervous energy around it, that that's what's going to happen, that I'm going to have my control taken away. I'm mm -hmm. going to have my ability to think clearly taken away. And I don't agree necessarily with that type of approach. The way I like to do hypnosis and the way I think a lot of ethical practitioners do it is um, you're still in full control. So you're still conscious. You're just in a very deep sleep-like state. Yeah. So you can still have full, like if you want to snap out of it, you can snap out of it. The unconscious mind always has control and it's always able to pull itself out if we allow it to. Yeah. So I think... Yes, it's a very effective modality if it's done in a way where the person still feels like they're in the driver's seat mm -hmm. of their own healing journey. Yeah. I also think it's more effective because when you're in the driver's seat and you're still a little bit conscious in what's going on, you're taking on these changes and you're accepting them as a part of who you are versus having somebody else tell you what you need to change or what you need to do next. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I've always looked at those uh I don't know. <laughs> the hypnosis shows as that person just wants to be silly yeah. and get up on stage. They want an excuse to to be that thing, right? And just to to, to be wild. So I, because I don't think ev can everyone be hypnotized uh, as long as your mind will let you. Okay, so I think if the more you're open to it, the more you want it the more susceptible and the deeper it can go. Absolutely. But you also still have full control in it. Yeah. So if someone were to suggest something, for example, I'm going to go dark here. Sorry. Yeah. If someone were to put you in a hypnotic state and say, I want you to go kill so-and-so, if that's outside of your ethics and your morals, mm -hmm. there's no way you're going to do that. Yeah. So you still have control within it. So yes, you can be hypnotized, but only to the extent that your morals and your ethics. Okay. So those people squawking like a chicken on stage they want to do that to a degree they know what they're doing <laughs> it's a way of being a center of attention yeah i think Some so i like think that. so because there's, there's special pe certain people that go up on there yeah right and i think there's got to be some skill to choosing the right people to oh, go up sure. on that stage yeah yeah um but i do think it had uh it puts that taste in and i think i know as myself you know being raised like very religious 
hypnosis was like of the devil. And maybe there's still some of that kind of lingering in, you know, in deep consciousness in some people that are just like, oh, I don't know about that. But I've always looked at it as like a, you know, it's like a, a deeper form of meditation where you're, um, you know, I don't know, meditation on steroids or just like a backdoor to the mind kind of thing where just like, okay, let's get right in. I used to work with a hypnotherapist in one of my first clinics way, way, way back in Calgary. And we used to do hypnopuncture treatments together. Oh, fast. So she'd put them in hypnosis and then I'd do treatments and, you know, explain what it's doing through, you know, like deep suggestion and cool. explaining how it's healing. Yeah. And and I I don't know if it was the thing or not, but we did it a few times to try it out. Yeah. And it's, uh, um, I, I do think there's something to that. I haven't, I haven't done it myself for ages, but. I love the process of just allowing yourself to be open to suggestion. And I would yeah. love to hear all the success stories you had with that. Cause I can imagine <laughs> there'd be such a good, beautiful harmony within the body in that. Yeah. You know, we worked with, um, I've done it with a few, we did it with some kids and some, some adults, but, uh, I think it helped. I, um, I don't think uh, we did it as, you know, I wasn't involved in it as much. I kind of did it and then she kind of, okay, great. Thank you. And, you know, so I don't know how the results went, but Fair. to me, it was like, hey, I'll try something new. That Why sounds not? really neat. We had to come up with a cool name, Hypnopuncture. I don't know. That's amazing. <laughs> so um, now, you use the NLP with hypnosis. How is that? How is that done? So, the form of hypnosis or hypnotherapy I do it's called matrix therapies. Um, it's actually relatively new to North America. Not many people are certified to do it. Um, however, NLP is really big with timeline therapy, and matrix therapy is very similar to it. The biggest difference being timeline therapy: you talk from your adult point of view. Matrix, you go back as your inner child. So if the event happened when I was five, I'm putting myself in that five-year-old mindset, mentality, experience, and healing from that point of view. So they kind of work really well together because it allows us to use language, which NLP is really big on, to suggest different ways that people can see things, as well as give them the opportunities to tell themselves, which is really where the true magic comes in. Oh, okay. So it kind of bleeds together very well. The NLP itself um, is more of the linguistic side of things. It also talks a lot about the brain and how our thoughts are created, how we're wired, how neural pathways are built, all the boring stuff that I don't want to get into here. Uh -huh. But it all like it shows us how we can work together to heal these things. And I love the cross between the two because it gives a unique experience. Like I've done quite a bit of healing and it wasn't until I did my first NLP matrix combination that I really kind of got that opportunity to have things click in my mind. So they bleed together in such a beautiful way that yes, you're in this hypnotic like state. Yes, you're communicating from this childlike state, but you're also getting this opportunity to shift the beliefs, to shift the memories, to speak in a different way about the experience. So do you have to remember the experience? Yes and no. Because to me, I'm sure there's all kinds of um, crazy shit when I was a kid. But, you know, when, when you sit down and you think about it, okay, well maybe this, you know, these turning points, these points of trauma, do you have to 
remember them when you come in and say, hey, I want to help with this? Or is this, is this something that can be revealed or kind of dug up through hypnosis? It's absolutely dug up. Okay. I would say 10 out of 10 of my clients that come in, come in thinking the problem is A and leave going, holy crap, it was actually D. Okay. So we go through a bunch of layers as we go through. It's never what we think it is. And as memories come up, as we move throughout the process, we're able to act and use upon those. Sometimes it's just a feeling. I've had people say, I don't know what it is, but this is what I'm feeling. And we can play off those feelings and work with that. Okay. Yeah. It's, I've, I did a, I don't know, what was it called? Some kind of childhood regression thing once with one practitioner. And, you know, it was very interesting. Um, And, you know, the, she's like, okay, whatever first memory comes up and, you know, there are some memories, but then, you know, I'm like, Oh, those are kind of surface stuff. I'm sure there's something else there, you know, like where, what is it? Because there's gotta be stuff to explain how screwed up I am. (laughs) Not screwed up. Not at all. We go deeper as we move throughout the things, but generally it is that surface level thing that comes up. And that surface level thing is an awareness. It's a gateway into something that's going on underneath it. And what I get to do is dig deep with people. Uh So they go through the session. There's some, an epiphany on, you know, this experience or they can kind of reconnect to it. And so they've worked with you to kind of re rewrite or re uh, to kind of change that experience in their mind. Now they've left the office. Yeah. What do they do? What What do we do after that fact to connect and continue to heal and kind of reinterpret that? So every person, every session is different. Some people, I will have them go home and write about their feelings. Some people have unloaded so much energetically that they don't have to do anything except rest. Because mm. it's all integrating after. Uh-huh. What we do in these sessions is literally change the way that the brain cells are connected so we're recoding the file of which something was stored so for some they need a little extra work to maybe bring things out maybe we can tell that they didn't go quite as deep as they were able to Um, so that could be things like meditation it can be journaling it answering questions others it could be like go sit in a hot bath and just like let yourself process what you just went through Mm -hmm. these sessions especially when we do the matrix therapies are intense they are energetically clearing. They are powerful. And there have been times like when I first did my first couple, I think it knocked me on my butt for a good couple of days just because that energy shift within you is happening. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's, it kind of depends on the person. Okay. Yeah, I know with uh, a lot of times the first acupuncture pa- point, uh, appointment, patients will say, you know, they kind of describe it like jet lag, yes. you know, because the body is shifting and, and releasing so much. You know, that initial time, it can be quite fatiguing. Yeah. Yeah. brain is real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is real. That's really cool. So now you're joining uh, the Foothills Wellness Retreat in February. And so can you share with me what you're presenting and kind of how yeah. it fits in? So I am going to be talking about procrastination. Oh. So we're going to look at why we procrastinate, what's going on within our brains, uh, how we can shift, how we start pulling ourselves out of that, ways that I personally break procrastination, ways that my clients break procrastination, and then we're going to look at EFT with it. So the whole process, we're going to talk about kind of the theory behind why we do it, 
What are some of our triggers? How do we stop ourselves from doing it? And then we're going to tap in and anchor our way of breaking it. So by the end of the presentation, everyone's going to walk out feeling like they understand why they do it, what they can do to change it. And then they're going to have some pretty cool takeaways of a tapping process Hmm. to use whenever they feel like they're going down that route. And so how many acupuncture points do you use in EFT? Oh, goodness. Seven, seven or eight. And are they all on the chest and torso? or Mostly face and head. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm super curious. I'll have to look it up and see what points they are and yeah. what they correlate to. We do. So we do the hand. We do the third eye, beside uh-huh. the eye, under the eye, under the nose, chin, collarbone, and head. Oh, okay. So some extra points in there too. Hmm. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, no, I'll have to. Maybe I'm gonna have to come and experience it myself. Yeah. I'm exciting. I <laughs> stumbled upon tapping out of complete coincidence. I signed up for this program that one of my mentors was running, and she did an entire tapping process. And that the way you feel after it's again like you've energetically shifted something mm-hmm. within you. So it's I love it. I use tapping every day. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I. I just finished a book recently called Good Enough. And it's all about, you know, our culture's fascination with how everyone has to be the, you know, we're holding up to to create elites within our community. Yes. Whether they're, you know, the billionaires, the the elite athletes, the top singers, you know, all of this. When what I find fascinating is you hear some of these singers and there's people in our community that are better singers than the people that, you know, are on the top. And I know, you know, some local business owners that run their business better than I would say Elon Musk does and, you know, and so on. But we have this fascination with, um, you know, you need to be the best you possibly can. And I, you know, I think about that kind of, where does that come from? What is the root to that? You know, I think one thing you hear, we heard a lot in our generation was you can be anything. Yep. And so when you say that to a child, they believe it and they're, they're like, Oh, well then I can't settle yeah. in quotes. I just did the, the finger thing, <laughs> you know, and be content and have a good life. I have to reach my potential yes. and push, push, push. Now, I think that just creates all kinds of toxicity and problems in our world because now we don't know how to just be at peace. Yeah. You know, um, there's a great book by, uh, oh, what's the author's name? She was a doctor of Chinese medicine in China. And she grew up in the fields. One day, some uh, government workers showed up and they tested all the kids. She tested very well. And they're like, hey, you're coming with us and you're going to study in school. So she left her family and was trained up and later was told she was going to be a doctor. And her whole life was, you're doing this, doing this, doing this. And she became a very successful uh, doctor of Chinese medicine and ended up immigrating to Canada. So she practices in Toronto. And she was blown away by how many uh, of the women that would come into her clinic were depressed and just unsatisfied with their lives. And and she's like, they have everything. You know, what is wrong? And and she pondered on it for some time and she goes, ah, see, my whole life, all the big decisions were done for me. Yeah. 
So all I had to focus on was my family and my relationships and myself, you know, just keeping myself healthy, all the big stuff. I didn't have to worry about it because there was no choice. But here in Canada and the United States, there's this abundance of choice, or at least the appearance of choice, and, and we can be anything. And then that just puts you in paralysis. It does. And we can't, I don't know. What, what do you think about concepts like that? How does it fit into? I think potential is one of the best yet scariest words that we can use. Because like you said, too many options. We don't know what we can choose. We don't know if the one we're making is right. We second guess ourselves. I feel like a lot of self-doubt and those self-defeating thoughts come in because we overwhelm ourselves. And yet we focus on the things that aren't necessarily important. Like you said, she focused on her family and what she was going to do next and all of the community and the things that truly make life worth living. Yet over here in North America, we're so focused on, well, I need this to be successful or I need the money or I need the status or I need that elite type mentality that we forget to take care of the other things because we have too many options. Mm -hmm. So I completely agree. That's a huge issue right now because we're thinking we need to do all of these things and that's where self-sabotage and ultimately procrastination comes in because mm-hmm. it's this illusion of i have 15 things that i need to get done or i should get done and then we should all over ourselves yeah and we can't that should all make over ourselves. a choice yeah. yeah with all that and again i think too there's the i should be doing this i should be good at this this would you know impress everyone or make me more money or you know put me in good light with everyone but then they we've lost that ability or understanding on oh what makes me happy what can just help me feel at peace what can help me because again our 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 society is freaking toxic and you know we've gone away from worshiping nature to worshiping you know um a big guy with a beard in the clouds to now worshiping money Yep. And I'm sorry, but that's the thing we worship in this culture. And it's at every level. It's competition and, and, and success and money, right? And, and I think that's the thing that, if anything, we're trying to heal people from. Because <laughs> it breeds guilt. It breeds uh, shame. Yeah. And then we feel bad about our choices, our decisions, or where we are in life. And that's really not what this experience that we call life is about Mm -hmm. there shouldn't be guilt there shouldn't be shame that's a very human emotion that our society has placed has i'm gonna try that again our society has placed on us and really when we're comparing ourselves we're comparing ourselves to 15 other people versus the person that we really are and that's the person that we should be comparing ourselves to am i a little bit better a little bit happier today than i was yesterday if i am then that's exactly where i need to go and the last time most of us sat down and truly asked ourselves, am I happy or what would make me happy? I find is very few. Mm. Like I've had a lot of conversations, especially in like since COVID hit Mm -hmm. of people taking a step back. And the last time they had truly asked themselves that kids. Yeah. Like they haven't in their adult life taken a step back and been like, does this make me happy? And even when they're kids, they just did the things that they you know, the saw the world would make them happy or whatever, yeah. right? Oh, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be this. Of course, now kids now, they just want to be famous. Yeah, TikTok influencers. Yeah. But so is this a process? Because again, that finding that, that inner peace, finding 
that path of contentment you know is that something through hypnosis or through your your treatments that we can help someone kind of let go of that that veneer that fake veneer of how we should live and to what really makes us happy absolutely it's really because what i do is we start by pulling down kind of this like gestalt type energy that we've built by ourselves by what we've been taught what we've learned what we've experienced we look at our emotions and then we start removing some of these limiting beliefs and limiting beliefs are really lies that we've told ourselves over time i'm not worthy that's not true you wouldn't be here if you weren't Mm -hmm. so we're able to start pulling those down and you can start lifting that kind of cloud over your head of I should be doing this or I should be doing that and looking at it from a point of view of this is what I feel like I need to do. This is what I'm inspired by. This is what I'm passionate by and start making shifts to attain what it is that you really want, what lights you up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, um, I think it was, was it Brene Brown? She was talking about, or no, it wasn't Brene Brown. It was another, uh, I'm trying to remember her name right now, but she was talking about how, you know, we're all trying to find our, you know, passion or our path right and she goes you know it's the wrong way to to look at it because there's not this you're not going to sift through and all of a sudden find this thing oh this is the thing you know and and it can change but she says instead of looking at it that way seeking out your passion or your purpose you know what gives you energy what lifts you up what gets you excited and whatever that is whatever kind of feeds you in that way, that's your passion. Yeah. Yeah. I honestly think passion and purpose can equate to your feelings. If you wake up in the morning and you're excited, you're living your purpose. You're doing something right. You're fulfilling that passion. It's that feeling of I'm headed in the right direction. I'm inspired. I can help people. I can heal. I can do whatever it is that I feel called to do. Versus labeling it with, okay, well, this is my purpose. Because that yeah. seems very finite and very definite. And like you said, it can change. And it does change as we grow and we mature and as we evolve. Mm-hmm. You know, I see what's happening throughout the world. And especially in communities where their population is dropping. Um, China, Japan, um, Italy. You know, countries like this where their birth, you know, yeah. births aren't matching the communities. And what we're seeing with the younger generation you know, especially in China. Have you heard of this lie flat movement? No. And so the young people, and uh, especially in China, some in Japan now, you know, where there's, there's so much competition to be the best, right? Oh, yeah. And so they work their asses off their whole lives to get out there to get a job they hate or the job's not available or, you know. And I think they've sat down and they've, they've looked at the cost benefit and just be like, it's not worth it anymore. Yeah. This path that society's laid out for me, it doesn't reward me. Yeah. It doesn't give me what I need. And so they're trying, they're lying flat, meaning that they're just, no, I don't have to do any of that. And I'm seeing it with some of the younger generation here where they're like, no, I don't need a car. Yeah. I don't need a house. I don't need to get a degree, you know? And, oh, well, you're, you know, when you, when you can't afford a house anyway, why are you going out and getting a degree to make all that money when you can't afford a house? Yeah. When you can't pay off your student loans? When you <laughs> like, we're seeing uh, this generation now, even throughout the world, kind of pulling themselves and saying no to this merry-go-round of success that we've been sold that doesn't really work. Um, 
I don't know. <laughs> I think that's beautiful because really like societal expectations are great as a structure. Sure. However, I think a lot of people get lost in that. That comes back to that whole, I have to do this and this is my, my next step and I have to go to school. I have to get the house. I have to do all these things. We're forgetting about, well, what we actually have to do is what makes us feel good. Mm-hmm. And saying no is a powerful way of approaching that. If that doesn't feel like if you don't need the car, why are you putting yourself in debt to get the car? Mm-hmm. Like why spend tens of thousand dollars on an education if you can get just as good of an education in a different way? Yeah. And I follow do. what you actually want. Yeah. You know, um, I, I don't technically do any coaching. But during COVID, when I was bored, locked down at home, I just took a short coaching course. I'll probably never coach, but I like the learning about it and just this. And one of the things that kind of really uh, I took from it that I found very interesting is it's, you know, it's not a like a psychologist or something that's saying, this is what's wrong with you. This is what you need to do. This or that. Yeah. It's someone there helping you um, ask the right questions and guide you to find those, you know, to ask yourself the right things to figure out what your path is and who you are and where you want to go. Do you have any interesting, you know, no names of of clients or anything, but, you know, do you have an experience of someone you worked with helping them kind of, kind of ask those, you know, get those, that understanding of their path? Oh gosh, so many. (laughs) I, I, and like, I agree the coaching word alone implies that someone's telling you what to do. And that's mm-hmm. not what it more is like a guide. Doing. I am a guide. I yeah. prefer that word. Yeah. Um, gosh, how do I answer that question? Um, I've had quite a few clients. I think the, the most recent one that stands out is, um, this young girl love her. Um, she's building her business. She started out doing something that she thought would be easy to contain, easy to grow into, um, built this beautiful business that's expanded. She's doing fantastic. She's a pillar in her community, is doing great things and is thoroughly unhappy. And when we started working together, it was, she actually was one of the first people during this whole COVID break where I was like, so what actually makes you happy? And asking questions like that, she's yes, still building her business. However, she's doing it in a way that actually lights her up where she's Mm -hmm. excited to get out of bed versus staying in this like almost depressed like state of well i've gone this far i guess i have to keep going yeah this is the path that the world has laid out to be successful in business so i have to follow that path yeah she's like i'm there all the time i'm spending all my money doing this i'm not having any fun she was ready to close up shop and walk away Mm -hmm. and just asking certain questions she's now found some more balance in her life she's incorporating more of the things that she truly loves to do and finding that she can still grow her business and still achieve these goals that she actually deep down wants. She can just do it in a way that she enjoys mm-hmm. versus walking through that door every day going, okay, here we go again. Yeah. And I think that's part of it too, is getting to that point where your business where you're like, this works for me. Yeah. I don't have to go to it anymore. Yes. I don't have to, you know, open up multiple locations and have a hundred people working for me and, you know, yada, 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 yeah. you know, and it's, you know, to find that, that path of, ah, this, okay, where I'm at now, I have enough yep. have, uh, income, I have enough of what the things I enjoy to do. You know, it's almost at that point trying to like, okay, how can I degrow into that perfect place that, you know, yeah. my business feeds me rather than drains me. Yeah. 
while gaining those resources that, you know, if things do shift or things do change, it's not going to crumble your identity, who you are, what you believe. And that was kind of the verge that she was on, right? So having these resources and this adaptability that like if crap day happens, crap days happen. We can adapt, we can move, we can move on. Mm -hmm. Pardon me, sorry. And still be able to function and be a happy human. So someone's listening to this right now and they're like, oh my goodness, this is the person for me. Mm -hmm. I need to meet with Tanya and she's going to, She's going to help me ask the right questions and get on that, get on my path uh, rather than tell me what to do. So how do they get a hold of you? How do we? There is a few ways. Um, so Instagram uh, at Tanya Lee. So L-L-E-I-G-H. I'll put all the links in okay. the bottom. Yeah. Uh, Facebook is also another way they can get a hold of me. And then my website is TanyaLee.com. Okay. Excellent. Well, I'm super excited. I th- I have to double check my, because I'm coming, I'm doing all the classes. But again, we have choices, right? Yes. So if you want to uh, take Tandy's class on procrastination, you got to sign up quickly to make sure you can get in her group. Um, I think I might be even signed up for yours. So I have to double check it. But thank you so much for your time. Thank you for this was having a lot of fun. me. This was a blast. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll get this out there. And, uh, you know, I hope a lot of people that are listening, um, you know, if you feel so inspired that Tanya might be that person to kind of guide you along. Thank you again. Thank you.